that does not change my life will not save my soul. Is your life changed? What's in your heart? What is the seat of your emotions and character? What drives who you are? Is there enough evidence of a changed heart in your life? Does your heart belong to God or does it belong to sin? Because eventually... All of that will actually surface. It will come to the forefront at some point. You'll, you'll spill the beans, so to speak. What comes out of your mouth will reveal exactly who you are. Your actions will reveal who is your master, who is your Lord. At some point, it's going to come to the surface. We just can't help it. Through chapters 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul makes a statement four times. He, he, he makes this declaration, by no means. In this, this statement, these three words with an exclamation point at the end, is in response to four rhetorical questions that clarify why Christians should not give themselves to sin. And it's because they should have the right perspective of the Word of God and a desire, because they are new creatures in Christ, to please their new Lord, Jesus Christ. That should be the perspective. When a person realizes another person's sincere love and chooses to, to not take it for granted, that person responds with love from the heart. They're free to love. It, it's a liberty, it's a desire, it's a commitment. It's a proper response to the love that you've been shown. It is willful, not force. It is willful, not out of duty. It is willful and not out of guilt. It is willful and not out of fear. That's this freedom that we can know when we know that we've been loved genuinely. And when it comes to God, the response to his love is so much more. It's this and more. Love is expressed from the heart of a person, expressed in faith, expressed in belief. It's expressed from the heart of a person who has been given a new life, who knows what that new life is. I couldn't explain it. I couldn't tell you all about it before it happened. But at the point of conversion, I remember I had a new desire to honor and live for someone other than myself. That was strange to me. Because up to that point, you know who I lived for? Yeah. Me, myself, and I. It was, I was at the center of it all. But a person who knows love and, and knows that grace, oh, you'll, you'll have a heart that knows that new life and wants to express that gratitude toward the Lord with a new perspective and an eternal and glorious hope. And that love is only holy and rightly expressed through our obedience to God's word. It can't be done any other way. I, again, just to say that I, I love God, well, what does that mean? Don't you hear that a lot? I believe in God, 
and I love him. But if you don't know how it is that God loved you, if you don't know what standards he holds as far as how to express our love toward him and others, then how can you say that with confidence? How can we say that with confidence? We can't, right? John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We need to know them in order to keep them, right? If there's a refusal to obediently align yourself with the word of God, then there's a problem with who your master really is. Because a person who gives themselves to sin occasionally or habitually, it does not matter. If you give yourself to sin occasionally or habitually, that person does not understand or know God's grace and willingly, knowingly remains enslaved by sin and is not under the grace of Christ. That is my concern. That is, I want to from this pulpit just preach truth. I cannot preach anything other than that. We cannot be a church that is lukewarm. We cannot be a church that is strong if we're not all together in Christ, walking in truth. There will be a, a work of people being undermined, ministries being undermined, people being opposed to each other, gossiping about each other, disliking each other. That's what will happen. Why? Because we'll reflect the world and not the character of God. And that is all sin. We'll be very judgmental, critical about each other. D.L. Moody said this, quote, God will not accept a divided heart. He must be absolute monarch. There's not room in your heart for two thrones. You cannot mix the worship of the true God with the worship of any other God more than you can mix oil and water. It cannot be done. There is not room for any other throne in the heart of Christ if, if Christ is there. If worldliness should come in, godliness would go out. Close quote. A person who's saved, living under God's grace, will show this by desiring and acting in obedience to God's word because they have become slaves of righteousness. Are you a slave of righteousness? Listen, I know that that, that term slave in our world today, it, it's, a, it's a negative term. It's a derogatory term, but, but not in the context of what we're speaking of this morning. We need to be mindful of that. Who do we belong to? Um, whose will have we subjected our wills under and to? It's an obedience of the heart because they have experienced the love of Christ and his grace and have given themselves fully to the will of God because they belong to him. Do you know who you belong to? I know who I belong to. I, I belong to the Lord and, and I pray every day that the Lord would help me to reflect him more and more. I, I know we don't do it perfectly, but that's, that's what our desire should be. Three things that I'm going to point out this morning through our text. Number one, slaves of whom you obey. Number two, obedience is from the heart. And number three, the fruit of slavery. Let's begin with verses 15 and 16, slaves of whom you obey. 
Verse 15, Romans chapter 6, verse 15 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one, one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Slaves of whom you obey. So let's begin by addressing the rhetorical question that Paul asks, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And he answers, right, by no means. Back in verse 1, the question is asked, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Again, it's just, it's answered in the same way. The difference in the two, verse 1 refers to habitual sin and verse 15 refers to occasional sin. We're not to sin habitually in order that grace may abound, you know, then we, we need to ask the question, then how about occasionally? Is that okay? Just, you know, every once in a while, just throw it in there. Come on, just a little bit. We're not under the law. Come on, we're under grace, right? By no means. Absolutely not. Not a lot. Not a little. Not nothing. The question is, why would you even be asking? Why would, why would we ask? Remind me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, which says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I, you know, I, I know that I did not grow up until later in my adult years. You think you, gr you grow up at the point to where I thought, you know what, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be an adult and uh, everything's going to be good when I turn 18. Twenty-one, twenty-three, twenty-five, thirty. Come on, at some point, right? No, there are a lot of thirty-five and forty-year-old children walking around. A lot of fifty-year-old children walking around. Even sixty and seventy-year-old children walking around. The longer you remain in those childish ways. I'm talking in years, the deeper those roots shoot down, and the more difficult it is for you to change. The sooner you realize that God loves you with an everlasting love, the sooner you understand that this is God's absolute truth, the sooner you realize that this is like a guardrail to you to help you to live life, um, honoring the Lord, but it's a lot of protecting you too. The sooner you understand that knowledge by itself is not power, but wisdom is, it's knowledge rightly applied, right knowledge rightly applied, the sooner we 
get to 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Church, it's time to grow up. Time to stop asking, you know, how about a little bit? How about a little compromise? Doesn't the Bible tell us a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Again, we can't fall back to the excuse, well, we're all sinners, right? I mean, we can't be perfect. No, but you know, oh child of God, you know when you're trying to make an excuse for your occasional sin. I is included. Right? I know. You would think as adults we would act like adults, but if we allow the flesh to lead, then we remain infants in our speech. We remain infants in our thoughts. We remain infants in our reasoning. But let's stop for a moment and reason with God's word as a standard of absolute truth. If we aren't to sin habitually, then how about occasionally? No. And this is why this would be behavior unbecoming of a genuine believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Whoever you willingly present yourself to is the one you are enslaved to. What appetite do you obey most? Let's take some practical things. Food, exercise, travel. Gaming, hobbies, leisure, I mean, take your pick. Because God's word is telling us that whatever you present yourself to constantly is what you are a slave to. We can also go in the direction of, of gossip, of slander, of anger. We can go even deeper. Adultery, sexual immorality, um, fornication. I mean, we, we can go down the list, Right? Because people think they have the option of doing everything and then believe they're going, they're doing something that is neither sin nor obedience, but that's not true. It's not true. In other words, if we make choices that prefer other than God things, then we are slaves to sin. No, now, before you say, so pastor, you're saying that, that food, exercise, travel, work, gaming, hobbies, and all the above are sin? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. And gaming, by the way, I'm, I'm not referring to gambling. <laughs> All right? <laughs> That's not what I'm referring to. Uh, gambling, uh, you're just giving away your money. Uh, th that's, that's just a big ATM, and, uh, and it's not for entertainment. Um, I worked for one for 10 years, BC, and, uh, and I know exactly what that's all about. It's an enslavement all in and of itself. But that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the one that you sit in front of a screen and, and you play games. Right? Is it all sin? No, and yes. <laughs> Any or all of those could be a sin if they are things that lead your decisions instead of God's word, which means that if you allow those things to take the place of perhaps discipleship, which would mean if those things you allow to get in the way of, let's say, for instance, I can't go to men's study, I can't go to women's study because of these other things that I have going on. Then note, according to Matthew chapter 28, um, the Lord gave, gave all of us 
uh, the Great Commission. You know what that is? To make disciples of all nations. Um, part of that is, is uh, rolling up our sleeves and working in the study of the Bible so that we would learn how to follow Christ. And so it would do us good as a church to come together often and study the word of God. And, and so if one of those things are constantly getting in your way of participating in, in the study of God's word, uh, in serving the Lord, then perhaps it's becoming sin if it's not already. And that's just one example. But if you are conscientiously not allowing any of those to get in the way of your participating in the expressed obedience to God's word in all aspects, even if you have to forego several of those, then no, it's not a sin. So it all depends. Remember that I said before I came to Christ, who was at the center of my life? It was me. After I came to Christ, I desire to honor the Lord. I want, I want to learn more. I, I don't understand the person who, quite frankly, battles with reading the word. I, I don't. I don't understand the person, and I'm talking about the person who, who claims to be a Christian. I don't understand that. From the get-go for me, it was, I need to be in the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you're, if you're, um, sensing that you're spiritually malnourished, um, your desire and intent to get into God's word will not nourish you. The only thing is actually getting into God's word. That will nourish you. That will build you up. That will allow the Lord to continue that work of sanctification in your life. When you realize that, that there are other things, do you know that there's a battle for your time? You gotta, let's stand up. Stand up for a <laughs> I know it's a hard message, but it's one that it's necessary. I'm not the one that's saying this. The Lord is. The Lord is laying all of this out for us. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Do we know that? Because we only have two options, and then we'll sit back down. Two options. Slaves of sin, which leads to death. Or the second one, slaves of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Sit down. Let's just to get the blood flowing kind of help us go slaves to sin which leads to death or slaves of obedience which leads to righteousness aw tozer said this quote most christians don't hear god's voice because we've already decided we aren't going to do what he says close quote how true aw tozer my brother he knows exactly what what we tend to do i believe there are fewer people who will walk obediently with the Lord. And this is my concern, church. This is my concern. This is God's concern. God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When that repentance is actually genuine, the person reflects a character that resembles God and not themselves. We submit our wills to him. 
If you are trying to see how much sin you can get away with, then you may still be a slave of Satan and not of God because you are slaves of whom you obey. You want to find out where you stand? Who is it that you sub submit yourself to? It's quite simple. So slaves of whom you obey. Secondly, obedience is from the heart. Verse 17 says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Who you desire to please is who you love. Obedience is from the heart. The principle of living you hold to as a standard by which you live your life reveals where your heart truly is. The heart is the seat of your will, your emotions. It's a seat of moral purpose. And it's established. And it's from that place where actions really prevail. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. And, and this is a very important reality for the believer to know of, of self, of the person, the past tense that is used to describe being slaves of sin. This is in the past tense, no longer given to sin at all. And the question is, is this true of you? Is the enslavement to sin something of the past, not of the present? Being thankful toward God. A believer once was once a slave of sin. At one point in your life, you would willingly offer yourself to sin. And you didn't think twice about it. To any moral impurity. Uh, to live with complete disregard for God's word. But the true, genuine believer will be obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. That is sound doctrine. That is the standard of teaching. The mold of sin that you were once willingly pouring yourself into has been broken. And as a believer, you are now a slave of righteousness that literally gives yourself to the preaching of the word. And are being poured into another mold. A dye that is the image of God. Uh, a dye that is righteous and holy in character. Becoming an instrument who bears the image of God more clearly. Why not sin occasionally? Because as Christians, the old man of sin is supposed to be dead in Christ. We are new creatures with a new heart, new desires, and a new perspective. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is why, as Christians, we need to be able to discern whether we are living as people who have been set free from being slaves of sin and now are freely living as slaves of righteousness and therefore are being molded into the image of our Lord. Who and what are you offering yourself to? C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, if you are renewed by grace and were to meet your old self, I'm sure you would be very anxious to get out of his company, close quote. <laughs> I, would, I, I think about my old self and I should be someone I would definitely not hang out with. 
Have you become obedient from the heart toward God? So slaves of whom you obey, number two, obedience is from the heart, from the heart. Number three, let's take a look at the fruit of slavery. We'll take a look at two, though, um, slavery to sin and slavery to righteousness. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting in that, at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The fruit of slavery. So Paul is bringing this thought to a rational conclusion, a logical conclusion. He's bringing us down to that. So things to think about. What did sin produce? What does sin produce? What is righteousness producing? It should be in the present tense, right? For the believer, right? It should be, what is righteousness producing now? You know, God warned Adam that sin would bring death. Was it true? It's true then, it's true now. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You know, we, we can think of all sorts of things. We, we think we're sometimes so smart that we, the, the, we, we rely more on our words than on his words. We talk a lot, and just because we talk a lot doesn't mean that, that we're all of a sudden right. It may sound good to the world, but it's not right before God. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, Paul in this, in verse 20, is, is talking a bit sarcastically to make a point. Saying that at one point, when you were slaves of sin, you were free from righteousness. Do you remember when you were, you were free from righteousness? Remember those times? You know, sometimes we look back at the, at the good old days and we're like, man, those were the days. Really? If you could actually go back to those days, then all of the other things that were going on would actually it would would come to your knowledge, and 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 you would not think that those were actually that great at that point. He's actually saying the person who's led by the flesh is free of the spirit. That's a true statement. But think about what that produced in life. It was producing things that you are now, as he says, are ashamed of. These are all things that lead to death. Death of what? L listen, if we walk in our flesh in sin, relationships are not right. The manner in which we conduct ourselves within marriage is not right. We're just, we're trying to figure things out and God has already laid something out his word, and that's right, and it leads to eternal life, but when we remain in the flesh, we destroy all kinds of things. We, we bring them to, to death, to a point of death. Thoughts and words and actions lead down a path of death and destruction outside of the Lord. Who and what you are led by will be evident by the fruit you are producing in life. 
One leads to death and the other to eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is being produced in your life? Th those are, see this, this, what we cover this morning, what we're covering this morning is all so that we would be examining our own hearts. Where are we? Who have we submitted ourselves to? Whose will are we truly following? Are we humbling ourselves before God because we claim as Christians to be followers of Jesus Christ? But do we know what that looks like? We, we don't belong to ourselves. In, in our wills, we surrender to the Lord's will. Are you willingly do, doing that? Are you desiring to do that? Because the last verse in this chapter says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice that he doesn't say that the wages of eternal life are found in how good we are. What we do. It, it's, it's our due. No, it's a free gift. We started out in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. It do us good to go back, to just jot it down, go back and read that again. Because the wages of sin, it, it just continues to build up. You know, it, God is just, and those things that we have done in the flesh, in sin, will be brought upon us. Outside of Christ, we remain as condemned people. We reject the grace of God. But the moment we come to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we experience this free gift of God. It is eternal life that we have come to know in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what I pray that this that if there's any conviction whatsoever that we, number one, as Christians, if you're a Christian, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that you align yourself with the will of God, you humble yourself, you, you yield to the Lord, and that anyone who's, who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would know how it is that he demonstrated his love toward you by offering this free gift of of eternal life through Jesus Christ, and, and you yourself call out, cry out to the Lord to forgive you of your sins and to be your Lord and Savior, to give you a new heart, to give you a new perspective, to give you that hope of eternal life, for you to know God's grace. It doesn't have to be in specific words. It just has to be genuine, just a genuine complete yielding, repenting of your sins, of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, and he'll meet you right where you're at. If you need to recommit your life to the Lord, then today may this moment be that moment. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate till later. You won't do it. Do it now. The question we started with is the one we will conclude with. If we are not to sin habitually in order that grace may abound, then how about occasionally? It is true that for the believer to give themselves even to the occasional sin is inappropriate for us. But of course, it's much more than that. Are we sinless? No, but we know when we're given to occasional sin every now and then, just doing a little dabbling in sin. Listen, Satan would love to take us down at an opportune time. When is that opportune time? It's when you put your guard down. That's when. When you are full of yourself, full of personal confidence, 
and not relying on the Lord, your guard's down. Your guard's down. That is the opportune time. If Satan hasn't already begun his work of deception in your own mind and heart, he's coming. I'm not doing that to strike fear in your heart. I'm telling you reality because the word tells me so. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Even Jesus, after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, after tempting him three times, said that he left him alone for the moment, and when later, he'll just look for an opportune time to do it again. You don't think he's doing it with us? Don't let your guard down. If you offer Satan a little of your heart, he'll destroy the whole thing and he'll leave you dead. Instead, as it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Give your heart to Jesus, obey his leading, guard your heart. Father, We're not here to play church. We're not here for entertainment. Lord, we're not here because we want to see what we can get out of others. We're here because we want to hear from you. We're here because we're serious about our relationship with you. We're here to worship you. I pray that we would be truly living sacrifices, completely given and yielded to you, our God and our Lord. Convicted of heart, Lord, I have been. And I pray that we all are. Because it's that godly conviction which leads to repentance, which leads to eternal life. I pray, Lord, that we would be sober-minded and that we would be genuine and serious about expressing our faith and our love for you. And so, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord, your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, you wish that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, I, I, Lord, us come to you with repentant hearts and ask that you would strengthen us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us clean hands and pure hearts, minds that are that are focused on you, eyes that are fixed on our Savior. We thank you, Lord, Lord, for your love and for your grace. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.